This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. Today, I'm lucky to have with me three incredibly talented women who have used social media and the internet to shake up various aspects of the design world, but now find themselves overseeing one of the oldest forms of communication, print magazines. They're here to tell us why, after their success with technological innovation, internet sales, and social media, they still feel that print is important. First up is Dara Caponegro, who after a distinguished career as a shelter magazine editor, during which she helped launch Domino and then served as editor-in-chief of Veranda, in 2013 became creative director of the storied fabric house Schumacher. Dara's witty and fresh approach to social media and email marketing not only revitalized Schumacher, it has had a big impact on the entire fabric industry. Yet two years later, she found herself again overseeing a magazine, Schumacher's Bulletin, which has recently been relaunched as Frederick. Welcome, Dara. Thank you, Michael. We're also fortunate to have with us Julia Noran Johnston, who, after working at AD and Veranda, launched Editor-at-Large in 2009. Renamed Business of Home, the website and weekly email newsletter quickly became a crucial must-read for everyone in the design industry, covering the latest business news, retail trends, profiles of industry leaders, behind-the-scenes stories, and more. Business of Home soon expanded to offer classes, podcasts, conferences, and yes, a magazine also called Business of Home. Hello, Julia. Hey, Michael. Thanks so much. Last, but certainly not least, I'm delighted to welcome Anna Brockway. After a career in fashion, including a stint at Levi Strauss, in 2013, Anna launched Cherish, which needs no introduction, with her husband, Greg. Cherish changed the way designers shopped, and even more so during the pandemic, became a crucial source for vintage and new furnishings for the home. And yes, Cherish has a podcast, and the company has recently published the second issue of his new Cherish magazine. Welcome, Anna. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to ask each of you why you felt that print was still a medium that could serve your message, and then we'll get into what your messages are and what you want to accomplish with it. But why don't we start with you, Dara? I mean, I know what a magazine editor you always have been and always will be, but how did you see that as important to Schumacher, what you were doing at Schumacher, which you've had such success with? Well, thanks. Um, Well, honestly, it kind of happened by accident. So when I left Veranda, I got this great job as creative director of Schumacher, and we launched a Miles Red collection in 2015. Miles has such an incredible editorial voice. And I was like, wouldn't it be fun to do a magazine just devoted to Miles? And so we did this big fold out newspaper and it was to announce his collection, but it also had like a very editorial spin. You know, I remember it well. Yes. Yeah. It was his favorite movies and his favorite oh, I don't know, like where his inspiration came from. And it was presented in in an editorial way. And people loved it. And then we decided to do another one that was more general. And then we did another one. And then slowly it just morphed. Like by the eighth issue, it was this like really luxe, glossy magazine that people just ate up. So 
it kind of morphed naturally. I'm really happy that it has. We went from only showing Schumacher and only focusing on our product to focusing on design in general, which has been really exciting because, you know, our community is amazing and there's so much great stuff happening out there. And honestly, we feel like we do need to be supportive of many other brands because that's what's going to keep us all going, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. It's very impressive, the new issue. Thank you. Julie, I want to you start out really as online and email. Why did you feel the business of home needed to have a magazine or should have a magazine? So our approach, I guess, started more from a business perspective than, you know, this is needed in the marketplace. Although, you know, I, I did see a need for it. We were selling digital ads and all kinds of digital things. But a lot of our advertisers at the time when we were thinking about this print magazine initiative weren't doing digital ads yet. You know, so it was a market you weren't reaching. Exactly. We wanted to be able to offer a print advertising option because, you know, they were comfortable with that. We could also offer it at a pretty affordable price point compared to what they would pay at a consumer magazine. And they wanted to reach designers. So if we could deliver them a designer in a printed product, we thought we could sell that. So that was kind of my approach. And then, of course, editors love to make print magazines. The process is so collaborative and special and intense and, you know, layered and all the things. So I think, you know, our team was excited about that prospect and thinking about how would we approach this. And and it really forced us through a really great creative exercise, you know, thinking bigger, slowing down, thinking of it in terms of like a big picture idea, and then breaking that down into, um, you know, the way that you would into hierarchies, you know, the way that you do in print, which is different than article by article, which is what you do on digital, catching people for, you know, here and there, you're taking them through this whole journey, right? So I think the team was excited about producing it, selling it, and we were able to make it profitable right away. And I always thought of it as like, oh, well, if it doesn't work out, it's not a big deal. It's easy to wind down. Right. Let's just you try had the it. core. You had yeah. your core yeah. product and audience. And it was so more this of was... an extension. Right. And then I thought, you know, this is just, this will be fun. And I think since that first year, I'm, I've been thinking like, you know, we're on borrowed time. Maybe this will, <laughs> maybe it'll just be a blip, but it's actually grown a lot. And, and there's a lot more demand. And I think the surprising thing to me is that now today, a lot of the big established brands and the heritage brands are like, no print, no print, just give us digital. And it's a lot of the digitally native brands who, I don't know, they think print's a novelty and maybe measurability is overrated and and they want more brand positioning, which they can't really get on Google and Instagram. So we're getting a lot of those types of, you know, the newer startups, digital brands who want to be in print, which is kind of funny. That's interesting. Now, Anna, you've done now the second issue of the Cherish magazine is out. You don't take ads from other brands. So how do you view the magazine? Is it something to expand the audience, a marketing thing? How do you see it? For us, our, I think our path to print was a little bit different than, than Dara and Julia. The mission of the Cherish brand is really about celebrating creative expression and through home design and home decorating and the joy and fun of that. And so the nature of the site is that it's constantly changing because of the way that we bring in inventory and manage it. So, you know, there's anywhere from... Something sold, it's gone, 20, right? uh, Yes. And it's, you know, <laughs> we get 2,500 to 5,000 new items a day. So the nature of it is very transitory. And what we found is, is that the brand has developed really sort of a cult following amongst a good part of our audience who are almost addicted to coming back and visiting and seeing what's new and exploring that. And what we found is, is that there was 
increasingly from our audience, we were hearing that there was an interest in sort of having Cherish as a world exposed beyond just the digital kind of on-site experience, but kind of what's that world really more like? And so from that, we started to think about um, storytelling. And I think everybody on this panel, we're all lucky to be working in an industry, which, you know, as Dara said, is, is really, it's one that's right for storytelling. I mean, there's so much great information and beautiful visuals and really interesting personalities. I always say it's an industry that indexes high on <laughs> characters. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I've encountered many of yes, them. <laughs> yes, we've done that. So, you know, it's a really fun thing. And so for us, it was like, well, how do we start to kind of tell the story of this brand in a way that, that exists beyond product and starts to make that build upon that to the emotional connection and sort of immersion in this world. And so, you know, the podcast has been part of that, obviously. And, and the podcast, as we're sitting here talking on it, is really focused on primarily the interior designer community, right, which, Detroit. as you know, is our most right. important buyer. But right. beyond that, there is an opportunity to connect with both the trade and with a larger audience. And so we just saw it as an opportunity to kind of tell our brand story in a, in a new and different way. And the lucky thing about us is because we sell direct to hundreds of thousands of customers, you know, we have everybody's addresses. You know, it's very easy for us to figure out how to reach our audience and to do it in kind of this new format. And so I'm listening to Dara tell the story of starting with sort of a poster pullout, which was reminding me back of my sassy magazine and Tiger Beat days. I love all that. And that was sort of the inspiration behind what we did was something that we're starting with something pretty simple and kind of a beginning place, but it's fun and we're having a good time doing it. Yeah. So in a sense, what you're saying is the magazine is really not about the product per se. It's about the community. Exactly. And welcoming more people into the community. Yeah. And I think the inspiration of it, yeah. And how many issues do you plan to publish this year? This was really a test for us. So we did two mm-hmm. pretty quickly. We worked with an agency. We worked with Chandelier. And we got those out. And we're tracking how they're performing. And we you know, we look to who we mailed to. And we see how performance is. And it's actually really encouraging. So I, I think we'll be back doing stuff in the fall. Because we think of it as a marketing extension. And because we think of it as a way to tell our brand story in a different way. It's not something that right now we're thinking about as an advertising vehicle for other people. Right. right. It's really it's really about the brand on, the, on, right. on us. Like the podcast. Like the podcast. Yeah. Right. Dara, you print three issues of Frederick a year, right? Yes. And you do take advertising. So how do you define the success of Frederick? I think it's fabulous and it's gonna be a success, but What to you are the criteria that will make it successful? I think one of the things that was an early indicator was just that people approached us to advertise. I'm one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there is a big challenge. I think it's fabulous and I love what you're doing. And I'm proud to be part of it. I think it's fabulous. Thank you. I appreciate that. So we didn't really set out to have advertisers. I see. Then we got call saying, you know, are you taking advertising? So I was like, well, this is a really good sign. Because um, print can be expensive. I want to talk about that in a minute. But yes. Yes, it can. And I think a lot of it is feedback. And a lot of it, we have paid subscriptions now. Mm-hmm. So how many people do you send it out to? And how many have 65,000? Well, 55,000 in the last wow. issue, it'll be 65,000 with the summer issue. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. That is yeah. amazing. And so just getting paid subscribers has been amazing. And what's interesting is we have the option of a one-year subscription or a two-year subscription. And the majority of people who sign up, sign up for the two-year subscription. So they have faith you know, in you, Dara. <laughs> 
Yeah. Got to keep it going, but thank you. But, you know, we don't have the pressures that a publishing house mm-hmm. has, mm-hmm. right? I mean, a lot of us have other jobs. Right. So I have a great team. A lot of them came from magazines, but they also do lots of other things. Right. So there's not the same pressures. Right. And Julie, what, how about you? How do you see Business of Home, the magazine? What makes it successful to you? Or how would you define that? Well, and I'm maybe the boring side, the business side, but I look at, you know, <laughs> advertising dollars. <laughs> it's a business, um, baby. <laughs> and subscribers, for sure. I mean, our, actually, my goal is to not have to rely on advertising dollars and to get it to a point where subscriptions are paying for it and the ads are gravy. And I think that's because I saw an advertising declining and we're getting a little boom there now, but you, you can't rely on it. I think it right. always Right, and that's to... been the problem with the main, as we right. all know, the problem with the mainstream magazine publishing was they were so reliant on advertising and giving away the magazine. So exactly. how many subscribers do you have now and how many copies do you send out? So we send out 20,000. Mm-hmm. And then of that, it's about 2,500 subscribers, paid subscribers. Right, that's fantastic. Yeah, we started that. I think it's been like two years. And how many issues a year do you? Four. Four yeah. quarterly, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now I want to talk about expense because we talked about that a little bit, but it does cost money. And as we all know, you know, the price of lumber has like quintupled in the last year, which means, of course, paper has gone up as well. It's made out of wood. Um, So is the budget for your magazines a significant portion of your, say, marketing budget or whatever? Or is it something that you're breaking even with or you hope to break even with? Anna, why don't we start with you? You've only done the two issues and it's a test, but was it a chunk of change more than you expected it to be? No, I mean, we knew what we were kind of getting into when we, okay. when we started it. You know, I work with mugs who, as you know, like, right. <laughs> you know what you're getting into. <laughs> Everyone's nodding. She's researching yeah, way she's ahead. She's good on it. Um, and, and, and my team's good. So we knew what we were getting right. into. And, you know, the lion's mm-hmm. share of our marketing spending historically has gone into performance marketing. So online digital ads with Google mm-hmm. and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So this was something new for us to kind of break out and do more of a branding effort on top of it. And we are seeing a really nice revenue lift as a result of it. And we have ways of looking at that by market and all kinds of analysis that go into it. I think for us too, like one of our challenges as a brand is we know that when we talk to our audience, we've done a lot of studies on this quantitatively, they love the brand. Like we get great marks, like people really have strong brand affinity. The challenge we're up against- It's a cult. It's a cult. (laughs) Yeah. And and it's a cult that like we want more people to be in. So it was this idea of how can we improve the brand awareness in total? And so we're not looking at it the same way we look at Google shopping ads. This is really more of a, you know, an introduction for many people to who we are or a reinforcement of who we are to people who've come back and shopped with us. So that's the first thing. I, I guess we're looking at it a little differently than we look at most of our advertising vehicles. And then secondly, what I would say is we did look as a point of comparison is what does it cost to run a traditional print campaign and what does it cost to do this? And frankly, it's pretty close. And in this case, you own the whole magazine and you get to have the expression all around your story. And so that that was a really interesting thing. And by the way, as I mentioned, we're also an advertiser in Frederick and we have been in business of home. Like it's not to us necessarily an either or thing, but when we started to look at the cost for it, it was like, wow, compared to running a schedule in the very traditional sort of Condé Nast and Hearst magazines, it's not wildly more. Right. Which is another problem yes. for the traditional magazine. Yes. Publishers. And Dara, you know, when you 
went to Schumacher. I saw an immediate change in the presentation of the brand, not in print, but online in the emails. And one of the things I thought you were so immensely successful at was making decorating seem fun. I mean, you know, I would get them and think, oh, these fabrics are great. I should think about redoing all this. Of course, you forget when you're looking at the fabulous materials you sent out that, yes, it's expensive to do upholstery. It's going to take, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, whatever. But you made it very immediate and fun. And I thought that was so incredibly impressive. And it was so of the moment. So how do you plan to translate that into print? Because as we all know, print is a slower medium. It takes longer to produce. But you use many, as you said, you have a team and many of those who came from magazines adapted to online and digital, but now they're switching back to focusing on print. So how is that working and how do you see the connection? Well, I like to think of Frederick as kind of being a synthesis of all the magazines that I worked on. So, you know, it has really beautiful paper. It's very lush the way Veranda was. I also make sure that there are lots of ideas the way Domino had. I don't know. There's a little bit of everything in it. And I think it really reflects my personality. Like I always like to have surprises in there and it's not pretentious, but it's sophisticated, which I hope that's how I come off. I don't know. It's the magazine I've always wanted to do. And we really follow our passions. You know, there's not like a set thing, like we're going to do this every single issue. We do things that we're excited about and that we find to be beautiful and interesting. And I mean, you've done travel stories. The breadth of it impressed me greatly, but was it a hard sell to corporate? No, I have this amazing boss who's our CEO, Timur Yuma Sockler. And It's funny because when he first arrived at Schumacher, he was very anti-print, but somehow he's come around (laughs) and he's been... Maybe this younger generation is appreciating it, you know? he's been my biggest supporter. So he really lets me go with it. And he's excited by the fact that it really promotes design and it, it positions us as style leaders. And But also he loves this idea of it supporting the industry as a whole. And I do too. Like I I just, I grew up doing that, you know, and there are so many exciting things out there, but just to be able to do like long stories and weird stories, like we did a story on Woodlawn Cemetery, which is one of my favorite stories that we've done kind of off the radar kind of places. So we're having a lot of fun. One of the things that surprised me, and and Julia, maybe you can talk about this, is in light of all the digital media that's out there, many of the brands, I'm talking like, for example, is Restoration Hardware, RH, but many, many of the brands started producing their own catalog slash magazines, and they were like taking on the territory of magazines, but they weren't real magazines, they were catalogs, but they had an editorial sensibility until you actually tried to read them. They would never have anything about Woodlawn Cemetery or whatever in them. They basically were just catalogs with a little more text and maybe an idea pulled out. But was that in response to, do you think that so much digital branding is ephemeral? Or why do you think that happened? And why why does business and home have a paper product? Yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying is true. And Fred wrote a big article about that, that, that there is a print boom happening, especially from brands. And, and right. it was like Anna said, when you compare the cost of advertising in a consumer magazine for a year to the cost of producing your own, it's not that different. And the benefit is so much greater. So the, the math makes sense. 
I also think mailboxes are uncrowded and you can make a big impact there. I think people get excited to find a magazine because there are no more newsstands and you don't get much mail anymore. So I think if you're filling someone's mailbox with something beautiful and whether it's from a brand or not, people don't really care. They want to be inspired. They want to read interesting things. So I think a lot of people saw that opportunity. And also when you're on a digital website, it's a very kind of active experience. You have to click around and decide what you want to read. You get distracted. Whereas I think a magazine is more of like a lean back, you know, Netflix kind of thing where the editors have done this curation for you and you just get to sit back and read and enjoy this journey. So I think it's a welcome thing for consumers and it's easy enough for brands and for startup media companies or small media companies to do on a small scale. I mean, we're doing 20,000, we're not doing a million. So right. it is affordable for us. Because right. it's, a, it's a distribution that can be hugely expensive beyond the paper. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, and one of the things that interests me about all of these magazine catalogs is, I guess the implication is that you get this, you look through it at your leisure, you know, hanging by the pool or a Saturday afternoon over a cup of coffee, but you do have to go online because maybe you see a set of sheets in the Serena and Lily catalog. You say, oh, these are really pretty. I'd like these. And then they just give you a price range or whatever. So it motivates you to go onto the website. Is that Another thing that you're hoping that people get their magazine from Business of Home magazine and they'll think, oh, I have to check out the web, see what else is new. Yeah, is I think you want to connect with them emotionally and when they're in like a positive, relaxing mind state. And yeah, and then that'll probably sit with them. You know, hopefully they've spent three to four hours reading it cover to cover and then, the, you know, it'll be top of mind and they'll reference it and then they will be happy when they get the digital newsletter too. But yeah, I think it's more of a, it doesn't have to be exactly connected to the digital experience. Michael, I would just say, you know, one of the things as somebody who spent eight years building the brand really through performance marketing and then with a layer of PR on top, I guess I would say, is for us, it's actually remarkably trackable the way we're doing it, which is so funny because back in my days, Yeah, because fashion, that was a big complaint about yes. print that people said, oh, we put the ads out and we spent all this money and we don't know if anybody res right. responds. So I'd love to know how you track that. It sort of depends on how you do it. So that is true if you run in someone else's title, but in yours, you know who you sent to and you know who comes into the site and you know who buys from you. And so you can look at and evaluate what of all the people I sent to, how many of them bought so it's actually remarkably trackable in a way that, you know, that doesn't happen if somebody else is doing the sending. So I think that's another reason why you're seeing a lot of digitally native brands that are used to a high level of attribution in their um, thinking about media, starting to be comfortable with this as a medium as well. Interesting. But it's interesting, you know, the I think that something that you hold in your hand, like Jill, you were saying, somebody's going to read it for three or four hours. But I actually think probably they're going to read it 20 minutes, 10 times. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> you pick it up and, and you know, digital websites are ephemeral. It's different every time you go on virtually, especially something like Cherish is going to be different. And so it's business. the news is different, but it's, it's sort of a constant reminder. And I ran into this architect last week at an event and he had sent out a postcard of a pool house that he had done in Greenwich. And I said to him, oh, I really loved the pool house. He said, yes, it was so great. The day after that arrived in mailboxes, I got a call from somebody saying, I want you to do a pool house. Now, that doesn't happen all the time directly, but I do think it happens. And your successor, Clint Smith, when he decided he really wanted to become a designer himself, he announced it 
with a big fold out newsprint mailer. And everybody talked about that for, I mean, I don't know if he got clients out of it. I suspect he did, but I know people talked about it because several people mentioned it to me. So there is something very visceral about holding that in your hand. Yeah, print is so different. It's funny because last night we shipped out our next issue of Frederick and oh, I- already see. <laughs> yeah, and I had been reading everything digitally and I asked for printouts. So I had printouts in front of me and it was amazing what I saw in print that I hadn't seen on screen. It was such a different experience. I caught all these different mistakes. I had like a few great ideas, you know, last minute ideas, but it's different. You hold a piece of paper and you see the world very differently than when you're looking at your computer screen. I also think there's something about sending something to the printer that has a sense of finalness to it, whereas there's a reverence and respect to that versus like with digital, people think you can change it anytime or update it or can you just add a link here or like, I don't really like the way that thing is. Can you change with print? It's done. It's forever. It's kind of scary. (laughs) It's great. I'm telling you every single time I, uh, you know, a book that I worked on or any issue you'd open up, the first thing you'd see was the mistake you missed. Almost always. If there was a mistake, I would notice it the minute I got the advanced copy of the magazine. It was like, oh my God. And you can't change it. It is scary. It is. But, you know, I think for that same reason, you really pay attention, as you were saying, Julia. You have to, you got to get it right. And I wonder if there's some subliminal way that the person who gets the magazine feels that intuitively. You know, maybe they don't know it rationally. They wouldn't be able to express that. But I think there's a a level of attention and care. And whether it's something serious, you know, like The New Yorker or something fun like The Cherish Magazine, you know that you went through thousands and thousands of items on the site to decide which ones you wanted to put together and you organize them by color and shape and all these fun ways on it. And I think that people do sort of respond to that care and attention. I don't know, maybe I'm just saying that because I think it's important, but I think that there is a way that people get a feeling from something in print that is a little bit more attention grabbing maybe than... Yeah, I think the user experience is so tightly controlled. Like our team spends a full day on line breaks and making sure that everything's breaking in the right spot and the type settings and all the conventions that have been honed for a hundred years, all these layers to the process that are tried and true. And that, yeah, I think that really does show up in the final experience, whether the reader knows it or not. And I think it also lends a sense of legitimacy and it makes you more real. We found that as a digital publication that when we introduced print and our team could walk around High Point Market with these magazines and, and you know, people were like, oh, okay, now you're real. It gives you a sense of gravitas. I liken it to a digitally native brand opening up a store. You know, you're like, oh, you're really, you're putting your stake in the ground. You're going to be around for a while if you're making this move of permanence and stability. Yeah. I think it's similar with brands. That's so interesting, Joy. I noticed that too. And, and that was something I didn't expect. That was the feedback of just the level of like intent and seriousness that people took from issuing this new thing. You know what I mean? It was like, it was like all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is a real important endeavor. Yeah. It was like really funny and nice. It was really nice, but I I wasn't expecting that. I I had that experience as well. It was neat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think all three of your magazines, like the podcast are sort of directed basically to the trade, but 
which of course, anybody else, general interest people or design fans who read it, you're happy to have them there. But that's kind of a core audience that is a passionate about the subject. And I think that that's, you know, people used to say to me, oh, do you think magazines are going to last? And I always said, well, I think it's going to be more difficult for general interest magazines to last. But if you have a niche market, which in a sense, trade is a niche market, that I think you have an audience that's passionate about the subject, then you can always have a magazine about that. And do you guys feel that that's true? This Or is that just wishful thinking on my part? I think that's true. And certainly we spend a lot of time thinking about the trade, but I think also if you're a real design lover, obsessive home decorator, yeah. which is yeah, you don't a big have part to be of a our professional audience, to love it. you're going to like right. what the trade likes. It's sort of like as goes the captain, so goes the ship. Well, the trade becomes a celebrity and you're kind of, yeah. you know. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I do think that's true. And I also just think that Derek spoke to this, but one of the things that's really nice, I think about what Frederick is and, and where we could head with magazine-ish. We call it magazine-ish because we don't really think it's a magazine yet. It's sort of like mm-hmm. a magazine. It's like an idea. It's something <laughs> we're working on. But is this notion that the thing that's really fun, I think about both of them and has been that we can kind of free ourselves up from a lot of the responsibilities that traditionally come with print. And Dara talked about it being a personal expression of her and kind of a summation in a way of her editorial perspective. For me, it was kind of a new experiment and a new way of thinking about all the stuff that I'm bananas for and kind of what the spirit of Cherish is. And in some ways, it's more a lot more complicated, but in most ways, it's not. And so it's kind of like you were talking about having a niche audience that makes it sort of have purpose. But I think it's also because it has kind of a niche perspective um, and, mm-hmm. and and it's allowed to be that. And it can mm-hmm. just be yeah, exactly. itself. I spent a lot of time when, when we were starting it and it was like, what were some of the magazines that I really liked growing up with? And Interview was one that I grew up with that I just, that was the first magazine I ever subscribed to as a kid. I just thought it was the coolest thing because it was so weird as a kid living in the suburbs. Like I was like, how do I get to know these people. Like, this is bananas. (laughs) Like, what's happening over there? And so I wanted, that was one of my points of inspiration. Like, I loved the idea of just having something that was, that felt that like as a pure sense of expression of the brand and just seeing what would happen. So I I think that's the other component that a lot of the magazines that I love, I still read from, you know, that you would call the traditional shelter magazines, haven't had that luxury of that in a long time. And that raises the question, I mean, Do you guys feel that part of the reason you've had such enthusiastic response to your magazine is because the traditional shelter magazine or the big brand shelter magazines are not reaching the passionate design lover or trade the way they used to? I mean, I don't want to slag any particular magazine or, or, you know, they're all struggling. We love print. We want them all to continue to be successful. But Dara, you're like me. You're not totally uninterested in this topic. But do you think there was a void there that in a way you're helping to fill with Frederick? I think there is a void. Listen, I think the magazines are all doing a nice job. But For me, I I mean, I think one of the biggest differences or one of the things that's happened is that they've tried to decrease their expenses, right? And one of the things that's gone away is the paper quality. So one of the things that Frederick has really, like we've really made an effort to do is print it on beautiful paper. And Mm -hmm. I think- And it's oversized. And it's oversized. So they've had like real pressures to save money. And in some ways, I think- 
maybe that wasn't always the best thing to do. They could have dug their heels in and invested in the more quality products, right? Yeah. I think things would have gone better for publishing had that happened. So having oversized paper and really great paper is a differentiator. It's a luxury experience. Exactly. I mean, I felt that way in my, at Hearst. I, I didn't understand why they cut the paper quality. I said, you know, but, you know, printing 650,000 copies, paper gets really expensive. Right. But at the same time, maybe you don't need to print 650,000 copies. People would pay more. 300,000 people would pay a lot more than the six. I, right. I mean, that's another thing that happened, right? Is that magazines, they devalued themselves by cutting their subscription prices and all of that stuff and the paper. I mean, maybe it would have been smarter to put some magazines online earlier and invested mm-hmm. in the more luxury brands and made them more exciting and better instead of cutting corners. Yeah. And Julia, do you feel the same? I mean, you get lots of trade advertisers now for your magazine and online, but do you think it's because there's not enough other ways for them to be reaching the the market they need to reach? Yeah, I think it's a a more affordable and direct way. And when I worked at Veranda, I remember advertisers really just wanted designers and that was part of what prompted me to, to start Business of Home. So it's tough for the consumer magazines now. And I think Dara is spot on with with the cutting of the costs. I think the appetite is definitely still there from consumers. I think they would love to still get magazines and read magazines. But I think the quality has gone down paper, but also I think staffing. They've cut staff down to skeleton crew. They've cut the senior leaders who brought this bigger world picture, who just were more versed in the topics and could hire, you know, rock star writers and and, and just hire the star talent that was expensive. And a lot of that got cut. So when you're not spending money, you're not producing a great product. And like you said, it's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I don't know what's going to happen with the consumer magazines. I'm really happy that they're still around in the way that they are, but I don't see them growing. So, you know, I think they see that too, and they're making up for it online. And I guess TBD as to, you know, how long the printed pieces can last. But I think if they had invested in it and then just really charged the readers for that, bring the numbers way down in terms of circulation and make it more of a subscription model to keep the quality up, that makes a lot of sense to me. And what's also surprising is how many small magazines, not just in the design industry, but like you guys, but travel magazines, fashion magazines, independent magazines. If you can find one of those magazine stores that there used to be many more of them, so many small magazines, YOLO, Cabana, they are actually doing very well. And I think in a sense, you guys are following in their footsteps in terms of really rethinking what a magazine needs to be. And I'd love to get a sense of what you see ahead for your very distinct publications. Like, Dara, is there something you want to focus on and the issues ahead for Frederick? Well, we have our first fashion story in the June issue, which is really, really fun. So it's a very exuberant, upbeat fashion story. And we shot it against wallpaper. And I'm excited about that. I mean, as you were talking, one of the things that I think is really interesting is we used to have a news section in our magazine and we got rid of the news section because I really don't think that print is a place for news anymore. It's really a a place for inspiration. So no more news. (laughs) You know, I think that's better online. I don't know. I just hope that what I really want it to be is just a place where people can be inspired and be surprised and 
because I really care about the environment, you know, I want to put out a quality product that won't get thrown away. Like I hope people will save their Fredericks. Like that's important to me. Mm-hmm. And even if they don't, it's recycled. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Julia, what about you? Yeah, I think it's really interesting about print and news because, yeah, with the print cycle, we can't, we're a news publication and we and can't really. And you're the first with the news. <laughs> I'm telling you, it comes in on like, comes in Wednesday around three o'clock usually in my, it's like, I got to read it now. Yeah, you know? I don't know how you do it. So you can't break news in print. And we learned that very quickly. So always the content has been more focused either on like diving deep and tackling, right, you analysis, know, something that's re- right. right related to the news or the latest thing, Caitlin came up with this whole business accelerator series that basically applied to the entire year for 2021. So all four of those issues kind of relate to, you know, one, some aspect of your business and, and all of the stories within it. So it's really more of helping designers. And, and, and we have a lot of content on our site that relates to that business advice and, and tackling problems and strategies and things like that. So that's really what we do in the magazine. That's more, it's not time sensitive. And we have to kind of do that. So now we're coming up with what's 2022 going to be. And, and again, and it is hard because so much of that also relates to what's happening economically and with business. So, But also, it's interesting to me that you've also expanded your podcast. You may have, you have Dennis Scully's wonderful podcast. And now mm-hmm. you have another one that has, in a way, more even more focused on the designer in a way. Yes. And what was the thinking behind that? Again, boring business. We sold out of advertising for Tennis's show. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> in February. So we needed another show. In February for the year, you were sold <laughs> yes. out? That's impressive. It's a great podcast, so I'm not surprised. Thanks. And Caitlin, I think, was interested. Anyway, and she's been doing this 50 States series mm-hmm. every week for, I think, a year and a half now, talking to designers for two hours and writing up their conversations. And those have been really popular And so she wanted to kind of turn those conversations into a show. And so we really kind of iterated on like, what does that sound like? How do we make it not boring? And it's a really special, it's very different than Dennis's show. It's it's highly produced. It feels like NPR to me a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of voiceover, custom music, and it starts with a a big challenge that a designer is having or a story and then drills down on how they solve that and what they learn from it. And they're really entertaining. I mean, like on a set, designers are so colorful and dynamic <laughs> and funny and fascinating, which is why I think Business Home started as editor-at-large with video. And we would take videos right. of these people at parties and the right. interviews were hysterical. <laughs> right. And like, I credit that. I remember those days. Success. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> designers are just the most fun crowd. So Anand, you're getting the research yep. even, size from the feedback that's saying that is this is helping. The magazine-ish is helping, Cherish. Let's assume you go ahead with it. What would you like to see happen with the magazine? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that is really heartwarming about Cherish and is always sort of, I think, differentiating and fun and that people like about it is the sense of human connection of items going from one person to another. And we have a hashtag that we use in social media called Found and Cherished. And by the way, if you ever want to meet somebody who beats the cherished puns into the ground, come into our office because we've got so many of them. <laughs> but anyway, so found and cherished. And it's like really sort of lovely to see the way that something that someone loves and cares about has this second life or a third life or a fourth life beyond that and that that kind of circle. And that's both, I think, a testament to the enduring quality the enduring style, and on also the benefits to the planet. And so I think that one of the things we are interested is 
spending some time thinking about how to tell those stories in a really fun and inspiring way. And then equally as interesting as designers are, and we've talked a lot about that here today, and that is certainly true. And I love that about our industry. <laughs> our sellers, you know, we have 10,000 individual businesses. Oh yeah, there's a lot of quirk and, there, you know, which I love. If you want to have a good time, go to a party, go to a cocktail party after an um, antique show or flea market with those guys, because it's a really interesting group of people with very specific bodies of knowledge and a lot of hustle because they're all small business people that I have a huge amount of respect for. And so I think helping to celebrate that aspect of Cherish, all wrapped up in a real super stylish banana outside. But I think those are some really interesting parts of our brand that people really respond to and love. Again, it's harder to tell in digital, you know? It's a little more abstract. Yeah. Like it's, there's nothing more wonderful than meeting somebody and they like mention a book that you just read and loved. You say, oh, you love that book. And it's like, oh, you love that chair. You love that designer. You love, I mean, it brings people together. And I think that's another reason that people love design magazines in print is because it exposes them to something, but in a more leisurely way than flashing by on the screen. And it allows not a deep connection, but a certainly a deeper and more interesting connection than just digitally. Digitally, you know, Instagram is a wonderful thing and you see a lot of stuff and you get inspired, but after a while, you can't take it in. At least I can't. I mean, I find I go in to check on what's new and then an hour later, I've seen so much stuff, I can't remember what I saw when and where by from whom. And I think that, Print is a gentler pace and it's less assertive, shall we say. And it's it's there and it's reassuring and it's inspiring. You can take it in at your I pace. I think we can tell a lot of those stories and, and we're beginning to like in our blog and content online. But I just think there's something about the spaciousness of print and the, the pacing of it, to your point, yeah. that allows us Temporal. to be a little more yeah. thoughtful and how we express yeah. that. So yeah. those are all some some kind of ideas we're starting to think about. That's great. Well, as a longtime print person, I mean, I grew up, I learned about design from all the shelter magazines. You know, when I was in college, that's what I started. And I'm just so encouraged by the fact that all three of you are doing very different, but very wonderful and informative and inspiring magazines. And I think this bodes well for print. And I think it bodes well for design. And I can't thank you guys enough for coming today. So I want to thank Dara Caponegro, Julian Aran Johnston, and of course, Anna Brockway. And I want to thank all of you for listening to the Cherish Podcast. You've been listening to the Cherish Podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hangar Studios in New York. Until next time. <music>